Hello and welcome back to the Varsity Cinema Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Rich, and do we have something special in store for you today. In addition to going over some of our upcoming showings, I'll also be tackling our joint screenings for Black History Month with Des Moines' own Pyramid Theater Company. From Stage to Screen is the newest series that the Varsity will be programming in conjunction with the Pyramid Theater Company. We'll be showcasing three films that started as stage plays and that became silver screen adaptations. That discussion will commence here shortly, but first let's chat some movies that are currently playing at the Varsity. First up, we have After Sun, Scottish director Charlotte Wells' much-lauded film, according to Karen James at BBC.com, is a, quote, subtle, piercing, small wonder of a film. The film's lead, Paul Meskel, has been nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role. I love you. Love you. Talk to me about anything. Never parties you go to, boys you meet, drugs you take. Dad! Oh my god, what even is that? These are my moves. No, oh, that's so embarrassing. That's not embarrassing. You okay through there? I don't know, I guess. I just feel a bit down or something. Not you mean? Tired and down, and feels like your bones don't work like you're sinking. You never know where you'll end up, though. You can live wherever you want to live. Be whoever you want to be. You have time. Sun will be playing now through Thursday, February 9th. If you're into darker body-slash-people horror, David Cronenberg's son Brandon has been doing some exquisitely twisted work carrying on the family's namesake, following up his gorgeous uh, and insane film Possessor. Infinity Pool is his latest effort, starring Alexandra Skarsgård and Mia Goth, and it is uh, one dark, twisted sci-fi horror that'll have you engaged, but also have your mind blown. It is quite... Uh, quite a wild ride. I don't understand why we're doing this. We barely know these people. It's one day. Let's mix things up a bit. Hi! You're just happy you found your fan club. I've been waiting six years for your second book. Is it coming out soon? I'm working on it. What do you do for money, then? You married well, rich. <laughs> <laughs> I actually came here looking for inspiration. James Foster, you'll have to come with us. Here, the punishment for any crime committed is death. What? What did you say? But 
once for a significant sum. We'll build a double to send in for your execution. your transformation. This is just a little game. But I can take some blood. Yeah! Show me how strong you are. It's really disgusting. You could just sit there. James, do you worry they got the wrong man? Infinity Pool is playing now through Thursday, February 9th also. If you've missed the brilliantly crafted Everything Everywhere All at Once in its original run, I would highly encourage anyone and everyone to make a point of seeing it in the varsity before it no doubt will uh, sweep the Oscars this year. The movie's gorgeous to look at. It's funny. It's heartbreaking. It's beautiful. It's sad. Uh, there truly is nothing quite like this, and it's a winner for anyone with a soul, uh, no question. I, I personally can attest to its power. I remember sitting in the theater and simultaneously laughing and just full-on meltdown weeping. Uh, it is, it's an incredible film, and not many, not many movies can pull off with that what that film does. Everything Everywhere All at Once will be playing from today, uh, February 3rd, all the way through Thursday, February 9th, so make sure you check it out. Women Talking is a drama based on a novel about nighttime attacks that women in a Mennonite colony had endured over the course of four years in their sleep. Eight women in the group band together secretly to decide how they're going to react to the drama within 48 hours of their attacker's return. Why does love, the absence of love, the end of love, the need for love, result in so much violence. It was all waiting to happen before it happened. You could look back and follow the breadcrumbs along the path that led to violence. When we looked back, it had been everywhere. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We will be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. None of you will listen to reason. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and terrified. Hope for the unknown is good. It is better than hatred of the familiar. And we cannot endure any more violence. We have been preyed upon like animals. Maybe we should respond like animals. How would you feel if in your entire life it never mattered what you thought? When we've liberated ourselves, we will have to ask ourselves who we are.
A couple of our recurring series will be kicking off this month, and I could not be more excited to share them. We have our more cult-centric Midnights at 10, showcasing films that, in the words of the brilliant Danny Perry, quote, elicit a fiery passion in moviegoers that exists long after their initial release. And based on what we've got uh, coming up, I, I can attest that that really does fit that criteria. Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go. That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. The kickoff screening for Midnight's at 10 will be Tommy Wiseau's singular The Room, followed by John Carpenter's They Live, Phil Tippett's Mad God, Anna Lily Amapur's stunningly beautiful and intimate A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and Andre Tarkovsky's hypnotic journey into The Zone, Stalker. In addition to Midnight's at 10, we'll also be starting the Cinema Clubhouse screenings, which will be more kind of geared towards family-friendly films. February will be action-packed with some gorgeous animation from the timeless and beautiful Studio Ghibli. He's following us! Just don't look at him. Step up to the right, please, gentlemen. Your rooms are right this way. Hmm. Lynn? What? What's that smell? It's human. You smell just like a human. Oh, really? Where's it coming from, Lynn? Come on. You're hiding something, aren't you? Show it to me. Is this what you smell? <gasps> Roasted! Newt! No way, Frog. I'm saving every last bite for myself. Please, just a little bit. Just give me a little... These wonderfully charming and whimsical films will grace our screens, kicking the month off with uh, 2002's Spirited Away on February 11th and 12th, followed by Kiki's Delivery Service, Panda Go Panda, and Howl's Moving Castle. And I'm, I'm super excited that these are gonna be playing on the big screen. I've seen Spirited Away and Howl's on the big screen, and I can attest to those being some of the more kind of magical cinematic experiences I've had in recent memory. So these are not to be missed. Bring your whole family and, uh, and unlock some, some new uh, cinephiles in your family. Earlier in the episode, I mentioned our From Stage to Screen series that we're doing in February for Black History Month in partnership with the Pyramid Theater Company. We have board members Tiffany Johnson and Alexis Davis of Pyramid to discuss three films that we'll be playing, starting with Daniel Petrie's brilliant adaptation of Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun. In the Heat of the Night's Norman Jewison uh, adapts Charles Fuller's A Soldier Story, which began as A Soldier's Play, and August Wilson's Fences, which was adapted by Denzel Washington. Here's our conversation. Today we have a special duo to discuss this month's From Stage to Screen series in partnership with the Pyramid Theater Company. We have Artistic Director Tiffany Johnson and Managing Director Alexis Davis with us. Thanks for being on today, ladies. Thank you for having us. So first and foremost, the trio of films we'll be discussing is incredibly exciting. All three of these are you know, amazing dramas that really tackle kind of a wide swath of issues from interfamily dynamic, classism, racism, trust, 
and kind of the idea of what it is to be quote unquote a man. Uh, I'm looking forward to kind of dissecting these in a moment, but I suppose we should probably, you know, kick it from the, you know, kick it off from the beginning. Uh, I am a noob when it comes to theater, anything. Uh, so all of my experience is pretty much rooted in film. Uh, but can you tell me a little bit about Pyramid Theater Company, uh, just for anybody that might be new to the organization? So Pyramid Theater came together with seven colleagues that were working as artists in this community, but never having really a lot of opportunities to tell or centralize our own stories. Um, and we discovered um, after a couple of partnerships that we had um, with the Des Moines Social Club, that that was something that was really needed um, in this area and in this region is to be able to centralize Black stories and tell stories that were important to our communities. So we founded Pyramid Theater Company in 2015, um, where our mission is to provide a gateway to the arts for the Des Moines community by illuminating the presence of Black artists in the theater canon, and then to provide a means of artistic expression to those artists in this region. Um, we commit ourselves to the tenet of Sankofa, which is from the Aiken language of Ghana, and it means it's not taboo to go back and retrieve what's in danger of being left behind. So we tell these stories of the past to hopefully serve um, the present and the future. And it seems like things have been going pretty well. It looks like you guys have had a lot of past productions and got this upcoming show with the, play, the Des Moines Playhouse. So that's really exciting. What led you guys to pick these three films for the series? We've got Raisin in the Sun, Soldier Story, and Fences. What was it? Was it, you know, I know you guys had previously done those productions in the past. Was mm -hmm. that part of the reason for selecting these? Or were you kind of previously, you know, in the know on these on these particular films? Or how'd you guys kind of land on these three in, in particular? Yeah, Keith, you kind of hit it on the head. We um, we chose those specifically because they are productions that we have done here in Des Moines in the past with um, either the Come and Go um, Social Club uh, back in the day, um, and or with the um, with the Sonar Theater um, at DMPA. So we wanted to make that Des Moines tie-in of hey, you know these. Uh, uh, plays have made their way to film, but also in between that time or, you know, now currently they've made their way to Des Moines too. So some of your favorite people, some of your favorite artists that you um, come to see on stage have already experienced um, these roles in fully realized, you know, characters. So it's really cool to have that kind of tie back and say, you know, Des Moines was one of the first places um, that people got their experiences of, of these works. Um, specifically Fences is a big sure. one because that was, you know, classified, we classify that as one of our first shows. And that's also the first um, August Wilson production that was fully mm. realized in the state of Iowa by our company um, and our partnership with um, the social club. So it's wow. just one of those things where that, that tie in that home feel is good. So people can say, Oh, you know, I like this character on the film, but I really like this artist from Des Moines that did this role. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a great, that's a really genius way of kind of tying them together and getting people maybe <laughs> to come out and check these out. I know um, in particular, probably a soldier story might be the more popular of the three as far as like widespread uh, general audience uh, audiences go and, and things like that. I've seen all three of these and I think they're absolutely, you know, incredible. I'd seen Raisin in the Sun, oh, I don't know, three or four years ago and was pretty knocked out by that one. And I watched the other two this week. So it's, it's been a really fun, yeah, fun experience to just get to watch these movies and they're so well done. 
um, and not having, you know, read the plays, obviously, because like I said, I don't know anything about theater uh, whatsoever. But like, are there any notable differences in terms of, I don't know, between the stage play and screen adaptations in terms of like character dynamic or motives? Because it seems like on the face of, you know, the material that I've watched, I would have to assume it's probably pretty darn close to the to the actual material. But I, I'm just kind of curious if there are any any variances there. The stage experience is always a different experience than you will find in a in in the theater, um, because you're dealing with live people and human emotion that is visceral because it's right there in the space. Um, it's just experiencing it differently. Um, a lot of times when we watch things on screen, we're less connected to them, and we can be more observant or more uh, more in a viewer mode. But when you're in the theater environment, you also get um, caught up in the emotional aspect of what's going on because it's like happening in real time and space. Um, the adaptation from stage to screen is sometimes pretty dynamic um, because there's a lot of things that they can make happen on screen that can't happen on stage. Um, so it, it really remarkably is a different experience, quite a different experience from the stage to the screen, um, which I think is one of the provocative things about what we're doing with Varsity this month um, is because it's such a different experience. It's almost a comprehensive thing to be able to let our communities be able to experience it in both ways, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, there are so many things to kind of consider too in a stage play. I mean, you've got such a range of volumes and projection mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, you know, you're up close and you can see, you know, the pain or rage or anything like that, that might be, you know, kind of conveyed right in front of you, like two feet in front of you versus, you know, famous actors doing, you know, doing their thing. And there's so. no retakes. So no, it's like, right. exactly. <laughs> whatever way Real it goes, time. the way it's going. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that, that kind of lends itself to be so much more real, you know, that way as mm -hmm. well, which is really kind of cool. Um, I'm a musician, so I, I play live music. So if you, I get it, like you screw up, it's, it's like you feel that and, uh, it, you know, you can choose to, you know, use it to your advantage or not. But, um, yeah, yeah it's, always, it's always interesting, if nothing else. So, <laughs> So like, yeah, locations seem to be kind of a key component of these three films in particular. The In Raising the Sun, you've got the the apartment that the family all lives in together. You've got mm -hmm. the military base on Soldier Story or Soldier's Play. And then in Fences, you know, you basically have the home uh, of, of, of uh, the family. And that's kind of really all you're seeing for the most part. Yeah. And I find that interesting that they kind of become characters themselves, which I, I mean, I feel like that's a pretty obvious statement, but it really is something that you start to kind of cozy into whether or not it's comfortable or not you know but you you do get familiar and you kind of you start noticing things on the wall or or you know things like that which i find pretty interesting and they end up kind of being vital to the story themselves obviously mm -hmm. and so kind of with those limitations i do feel like it often breathes like a lot of uh, life into the surroundings uh and there's that kind of lived in quality so I, i'm just wondering how important it is in a play setting in terms of having a space that kind of holds its own against the characters. I, I know it kind of depends from story to story, but just kind of curious. And it's been said so many times that the, especially in theater, that the set becomes a character of its own. Mm -hmm. um, the lights become a character of its own. Like they, it's almost like adding additional characters because they bring such a different dynamic to the story right. itself and, and informs the story itself. And 
quite honestly, especially when you're talking about period pieces like that, Black people were highly restricted. And so a lot of the stuff that we did experience was within the walls of our home. The most freedom that we had or experienced a lot of times was inside of our homes where we could be the truest and the most honest mm -hmm. and the most authentic um, and to have those vulnerabilities. Um, those things had to be behind closed doors. There was a saying back when I was young, <clears throat> and I know it happens and exists a lot in Black families, like what goes on our, in our house is our business. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was literally ingrained in us when we were young um, because that was the safe space, much like we consider a rehearsal room in a play, like that's a safe space where you can yeah. bear those vulnerabilities and, and, you know, and be okay, be safe doing that, you know? And then from the, the play sense um, versus like a, a scenic with film, it's similar, but there's different roles. And so with a play specifically, um, the dramaturgy of it all is really important because we have to have that awesome authenticity. So not only like eras, period pieces and all of that, the story background, but specifically for the Black experience and the Black story, we have to be very cautious of, you know, um, house shoes and um, what was afforded and what could be afforded and what was allowed in the home based, you know, based off of segregation, Jim Crow and all of that. So, you know, like kitchenware is very important. Would it be period or, you know, would it be even further back because it was passed down um, versus purchase at, you know, a store. So we, we have to do a lot of research on those ends to de-glamorize some of the things that make it glamorized on the film aspect and not really looked at because we're going to have someone in the audience say, mm, I don't recall being able to buy that or having that. And we do get comments sometimes of like, hey, you know, I, I can donate this piece because it's more period or more relevant to the story than what you all had or something like that. So that is really key. Um, when we do these stories, we have to like sit down and research a lot um, to ensure that we're telling that story with those pieces. Because again, like you said, there are the characters as well. They play a, a role and we want to make sure that role is accurate. Yeah, that sounds incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that you guys are that committed to kind of getting it exactly right. And all these <laughs> stories really are, I mean, you feel that there's like a microcosm in each one of these films, like the, the, their business is their business, you know, where the barracks even, you know, in Soldier Story, yes, there's, there, there's a, there's a different tone when the, I think he's a sergeant comes in mm -hmm. and, and, and while he is black, you know, it's, you can see him fighting that. And it's, it's kind of interesting to watch when like a white officer will come in, he changes his tune, even, even to get, you know, kind of his point across, he's trying to get a point across to the guys and they're obviously not into it. Um, right. but he's trying to kind of like, he's kind of softened a little bit just because he wants to see, seem like he's appeasing, but also trying to take care of his business within mm -hmm. his group. So I just find that interesting that that is very much a central kind of thing in all three of these films. I mean, that's very crucial. And speaking of which, I'll, I'm going to kind of just run through a couple of films, if that's okay. Speaking of in the family, keep it in our home, you know, that's our business. Raising in the Sun. I mean, that's 
very much the theme of that of that uh, to a degree outside of you know trying to purchase a home in a in a white neighborhood and and that being kind of a whole a whole thing too. But man, these characters are so charming and lovable, and you know Sydney Poitier puts on a fantastic performance. It's complex mm-hmm. and dynamic and. I really love the humor kind of in the family uh, surrounding the daughter, is it Benita, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the, and the, and the mom, um, by Ruby played by Ruby D and I don't, it's just, it's, it's a pretty incredible thing to kind of watch how it can go from light to, to heavy in such a, even within the same scene so many, so many times. It's a film that can kind of walk that tightrope of, of so many different tones. And there's such a richness in that storytelling. And Lorraine Hansberry, I, I don't know too much about her. I know she was an atheist. And I know that she had uh, died quite early, quite young. She was 34. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, from pancreatic cancer, which is the worst. And so I was kind of curious, like, what is it about her writing that kind of makes these characters feel so real and not for like a lack of a better word, like stagey, you know, they feel very, very real. Like, you know, these people. Yeah. Lorraine Hansberry, what, you know, we study that in one of the classes that I teach a raisin in the sun a lot. Um, and the eloquence in her stage directions in, um, the play script itself, it literally tells a story of its own. She had a very visceral idea of what this story looked like because they actually live this story. Like, Lorraine Hansberry was writing about her own family, basically, in A Raisin in the Sun. Um, and if you follow, like, the Lee versus Hansberry um, lawsuit um, for the housing situation on the south side of Chicago during that period of time, literally her father was the person who brought suit against um, the community or the city for their housing laws and challenge those things. So she was writing from it. And in a lot of her interviews, she would say that she was writing from the perspective of Benita herself. She kind of wrote herself into the story um, because that was her perspective at that time mm-hmm. of what was going on um, with the housing situation in Chicago um, and across and across the nation, really. Um, housing was an issue. Um, when you talk about the period of great migration and um, black people coming up and traveling north to try to find those better opportunities. We were met with other things like, you know, black code or Jim Crow law or things that traveled north right along with us. Um, so that's what I think about her is that she wrote authentically because it was her story. And the reason right. why it feels so real is because it was real. And I think a lot of times that's the beauty of, be, of being able to tell these type of stories is to be able to exemplify to our current communities mm-hmm. that there are things that you can glean and pull from these historical um, movies and plays that still are relevant for you as a person today. Sure. Maybe not the complete same circumstance, but very similar circumstances um, that we find ourselves in today. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that no, it comes through. <laughs> it's it's um yeah, it's it's a super great film. I I was bummed I didn't get to watch it. I was gonna put it on last night when it was like eleven o'clock, and I was like, ah, oh, it's over two hours. I gotta go to bed. I've got like a yeah. one and a half year old that will not sleep, so I I gotta oh. take advantage of it, you know. But uh, man, it's so it's so um it's such an incredible movie. Moving on to Soldier Story, or also known in the play setting as like a soldier's play, is another story that took place in the South during segregation, and it was a story that kind of did a which I really liked this aspect about it, kind of a whodunit approach, sort of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
where an African-American sergeant gets murdered, and then there's an inquiry that's conducted to figure out what happened and who was responsible. And I love that I love that there's a person that's going to be overseeing this is is a black captain, and he's the first decorated officer of of you know in the history of the United States Army uh, to reach that rank, and he receives a lot of a lot of static and a lot of pushback from his you know his superiors or his uh, his peers, and even you know even his own the men that he's inquiring about the about the murder, which I find pretty interesting, and I and how that all plays out is 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 pretty riveting, but it, again it's another one that's just. It's got really f- fleshed out characters, great cast as well. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Young Denzel, what, mid-80s, you know, so super mm-hmm. young. Sergeant Waters, he's, he's, I mentioned him earlier. He's a very divisive character, I would say, much like Denzel in Fences also. But you can see, though, what it, with, with what he's doing, and I kind of was mentioning this a little bit before or alluding to it, is that you can see so much pain and struggle in his eyes. And it's all so situational because he wants to move up the ranks, but he also was struggling to kind of be proud of who he is and and kind of his fellow common man but he just has such a such a hurdle to try to get over that and it's pretty interesting i don't know to see that kind of play out because it, it wasn't what i was expecting to kind of see that kind of infighting to such a degree that it, it was pretty pretty intense and pretty brutal so because i was mentioning how great those characters were and how lived in they were and how believable they are when you're doing the production of a soldier's play, what's kind of the practice of getting, you know, the actress to kind of sing into a character? Because it seems like it would be super tough to like if you're not a if you're a pretty happy go lucky person and you get you get cast as Sergeant Waters, how do you get that person in that mindset <laughs> to make it believable? Because that would be such a I mean, I feel like that'd be so hard to do. But I'm just kind of curious how you get them to kind of sink in. I would say it was easy for us in Des Moines for Sergeant Waters just because Aaron Smith had uh, played Troy Maxson in Fences. So he was already used to being the non-favorite character that was sure. the favorite character, you know? Yeah. So that struggle wasn't too hard. But even in that cast, you know, with um, uh, Scott playing uh, Scott Seeker, who is, you know, the the man of Iowa, the you know, Des Moines' nicest man, um, whatever his moniker is. But Scott is like one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And he like read the script and he loved it, of course. But he's Mm -hmm. like, I'm having issues being mean and I'm having issues (laughs) even saying the N-word. Like, I don't I don't want to do this. But then like reading into that and doing the character development and the why and all of that, like finding out all of these stories, of course, yes, he eventually did it, but understanding why um, this character was who they were and getting to live in that and and knowing the character, separating yourself from the character, but also putting yourself into that space. Once you go on stage, one thing uh, Tiffany and I joke about, it's like, once you go on stage, you are no longer yourself. Um, And so I'm sure, you know, film actors feel the same way that, that, you know, act, method acting is very real. Um, and so we we encourage highly, you know, like start to research your character, their mannerism, their attitude. What would they eat for breakfast in the morning? What ticks them off? What makes them happy? That's a lot to ask of someone, but it makes that experience so much more fully realized and better for them to feel like they're actually doing, they're actually living as the character instead of acting. And I would say, I would argue that 
it, we can say that it's easy for us to find that character, but it's not easy for that person to find that character all the time. Like there is an emotional experience that you go through as a performer sure. um, when you're taking on these roles. Um, and, and in order to convey them authentically to an audience, um, you yourself have to let yourself be a certain amount of vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why it becomes important to create a space in the rehearsal process that is safe for these actors to explore the, um, the different emotional dynamics that they'll experience as their character. And sometimes, uh, you know, some of the artists do get really emotional in the space as they start to experience and let the dialogue really fall on them mm -hmm. as to the story that it is that they're telling. So I would say to anybody who wanted to say acting was easy, that that was a lie because acting really does involve a lot of depth, a lot of courage, a lot of vulnerability, um, and a lot of facing truths that, especially telling black stories that, that are hard to face. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, especially when you realize that a lot of these things happen still in different ways. Um, it really kind of ties that feeling that that character had to some emotions that you may be experiencing yourself in that period of time. Yeah, no, that all that all makes sense. I I feel like you really have to kind of know yourself as a person mm -hmm. to to unlock some of these things, or you know, maybe you, like you said, be open to to these things in order for them to kind of reach new new heights or new depths uh, within themselves to kind of convey these characters in a very genuine you know, genuine light. So, I mean, that's, I just, it's always been a fascination for me. I just, I, I just, I'm such a goofball that I don't like, I love film and I love acting, but I just think I'm like, well, I could say these words, but do I believe them? And I just, I just find that interesting knowing the process of how you kind of strip away your, your goofballness or whatever it may be <laughs> to kind of get into it and, and kind of take on this whole different persona. I just find that super fascinating. So that's incredible. You mentioned Fences. And so that was directed by Denzel, who acted in the, in the original stage play, correct? Uh, mm -hmm. Was that kind of the majority of the cast? Were they the ones that were in the film? Were they also in the stage play? It kind of seemed like I had read that maybe, but I could be wrong. Yeah, they did cast okay. a lot of the, yep, yeah, they did. And with Viola Davis as well. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. she, she, she's... Uh, for my money, she stole the show. I think that she was absolutely yes. total powerhouse. And uh, I mean, and it's not to say that, you know, Denzel's gigantic and of course uh, a brilliant actor, but I feel like she really kind of brought the heat on this particular movie and kind of sold it, you know, kind of sold the story to right. kind she was the heart of the story. No question um, about it for me. She was, you know, more of a subtle character in some sense, but I really think that she's kind of the MVP here. So again, it was like, yeah, I mean, she's always great, but in this was, it was insane uh, how good she was. And, you know, it's another story about a family with another character, just like Sergeant Waters, simultaneously, you know, charming and disagreeable. On the surface, it kind of seems like Troy Maxson is a, is a loving husband, and which he is. I mean, I, I do believe, you believe that he loves his wife throughout the course of the film, but he's a bit of a showboat in front of anyone that'll kind of give him the time of day. Um, but so tough on his son, Corey, in the film. And so clearly that dynamic, the father-son dynamic is broken. And it doesn't seem like there'll ever kind of be a fix. As a father, just kind of, every everybody kind of unpacks their, I guess, previous traumas or their experiences on the next one to mm -hmm. kind of take their, you know, their 
previous place. So it was hard for me to kind of watch in that sense in, in a way, because I was just kind of thinking, what am I going to do to like screw up my kid? I don't know. I hope nothing. Um, but you, you know, no one's perfect. You know, you can only do so much, but it seems like Troy's kind of dealing with so much of his own failures, uh, and shortcomings, whether it be, you know, he had a, had a, traumatic childhood uh, with a mm-hmm. terrible father and you know he wanted to play baseball but he was too old for it and so there are all these things um, that definitely seem to be kind of pushed back on Corey and to the rest of the family you know honestly it just a ripple effect kind of thing so there's a there's kind of a complicated dance going on there but the story amazing film really loved it and you do not feel the length at all you're just like sitting on the edge of your seat like this is incredible you just feel part of the family as you're watching it i I really love that about that particular movie but it is a part of i guess something called the century cycle or the Mm -hmm. pittsburgh cycle right so pittsburgh yeah so could you tell me about august wilson's body of work i know it's what 10 plays worth in that cycle yeah tell me a little bit about august wilson yeah, so the Pittsburgh Cycle is a, a a series of ten plays by August Wilson um, that are that focus on different eras within the twentieth uh, century, so the nineteen thirties, fifties, sixties, so forth. Um, and all of the shows, nine of the shows except one, are focused in Pittsburgh specifically because that's where Wilson grew up and spent a lot of his time prior uh, before moving to um, Minneapolis and uh, doing work at the Penumbra Theater. And then there's one body of work that's focused in Chicago. Um, and that's, you know, focusing on uh, housing and things like that in the Chicagoland area, um, which was major at the time in which that's written. And what's interesting is that these shows are not done in chronological order. So like he wrote them at different times and different periods of his life, either looking back or looking forward um, or in the current time, but there there's no specific order into which they were written. But interestingly enough, he ties back sometimes characters or a dog's name or something like that into another story. So um, some characters make appearances in other uh, stories that you know that. may have been a couple years beforehand or 10 20 years beforehand or in the future so it's really cool to kind of see that progression um while reading these plays and just uh, understanding that he was writing a lot from his perspective versus you know that but with a, a matriarchal um realization which is really interesting for a a male writer to do that he really respected and loved his mom even changed his name um upon his father's death to change his to his mother's maiden name to pay homage to his mom um and and the importance of being a part her being a part of his life and the shaping of who he is as a man um that is why Mm. you know these characters like rose and um uh bernice and uh, you know, they're, they're very quiet until they're not, um, right. because that is how a black woman and that black matriarch in the family is, is I'm going to let you be a man. I'm going to let you do all these things, but what you're not going to do is boom, you know? And yeah. so it, it's so awesome to see that. And the Pittsburgh cycle is one of the most respected bodies of work within the black 
playwright scene, the black artist scene. If you if you are a black artist um, and haven't heard of August Wilson, somebody's going to give you at least <laughs> one of those plays and say, start right here. Nice. <laughs> so a lot of our first experiences as black artists is with August's work or with, you know, Lorraine's work. So it's it's very key and very component to that, um, the work that we do. I think one of the favorite things that August Wilson ever said that I know of is that he never had to embellish the stories that he wrote. He only had to just write about the people that he's seen because their stories were dynamic enough on their own. Sure. So <clears throat> he was writing about real experience, real life happening. And that's why I think his stories are so, um, so telling of the black, the black experience. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, and he did a really good job of writing from the black perspective, but in a way that it could be embraced from a human perspective, like everybody can see um, themselves in an August Wilson piece. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely got, I got that uh, from that, from that, from fences for sure. I mean, yeah, like I was saying the father son thing, it just felt very real in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, I, man, I would love to read more. Uh, so I would love to actually start reading a play. How about that? Um, it'd be, <laughs> be a good place to start, I think. So, I mean, you guys are actually doing, starting tonight, I was talking to Alexis, you guys are opening The Piano Lesson, which is also by August Wilson. What what specifically is the story about uh, with, uh, with The Piano Lesson? This story is literally tied up in legacy um, and the preservation of legacy versus utilizing um, the past to move you forward. It's, again, another one of those really authentic stories of things that we have experienced and still experience in our family dynamics. And it's something that we can all rally around because when you talk about family heirlooms or you talk about um, the struggles that ensue when you lose somebody in your family and have to decide what happens with those belongings or what have to decide you know, half of your family is tied to the legacy and the honor of what that thing was. And part of your family may be wanting to utilize that thing to move them forward and to have a different idea of what life could look like. And that's the struggle that's happening between the brother and the sister in this play. He is wanting to buy land with this family heirloom, um, wanting to have something to put his feet on, wanting to have something that he could call his own. Um, and he's wanting to use this item that um, kind of represented their life of, in, of, of slavery, their lifetime of slavery, as that thing that moved them forward. Um, and his sister Bernice is so attached to the legacy and the value and the meaning of what that item is that she refuses to let go of it, feeling like letting go of it is somehow letting go of that legacy. Um, so that's kind of the struggle there. Um, but much like you said, Keith, before, it's like all of these stories are very much rooted and grounded in family and in the dynamic of family. That sounds super powerful and, and amazing. Uh, man, I hope if I can make it, uh, I would love to. So I'll, I'll have to try and figure that out. Yeah, well, I, I can't thank you guys enough for taking the time out. I know it's opening night, so it was a pleasure to talk with both of you guys, and I learned something, uh, which is my favorite part of 
talking with anybody. So is there anything you guys want to speak about, whether it's the, you know, the, the play uh, or the films or anything else that we might have left out? Yeah. So one, we would like for you to check out a piano lesson, which opens tonight, February 3rd. Um, it runs until February 19th at the Des Moines Playhouse. Um, for tickets, you can go to dmplayhouse.org. Um, and then if you have any uh, questions or you want to learn more about Pyramid Theater Company and our work, um, you can visit pyramidtheater.org uh, as well. And then I just want to highlight that we have this partnership with Varsity Theater um, and Varsity Cinema. And if you are interested in coming to check out uh, Raisin in the Sun, Fences, uh, or a soldier story in February. There's different show times that are up on the website right now. If you go to um, uh, varsitydesmoines.com and you can buy tickets today. And I just would like to add that we are very, very grateful for the partnership with Varsity. Um, this is a, another step in the direction of collaboration for Pyramid, and we love collaborative efforts and doing things within our community. It's so beautiful that the the Varsity is nestled in our community. So. It's a beautiful thing to experience um, seeing a screening or a movie um, right in your own neighborhood. So it's really great to have this collaboration and partnership. And we are really looking forward to this month of, of films at the Varsity Theater. Well, the feeling is mutual. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope everybody gets a chance to see all three of these films um, and, uh, and experience, experience some pretty great, great stories. So uh, thanks again for your time, ladies. And yeah. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Tiffany and Alexis for their time and conversation. As a reminder, Pyramid Theater Company will be debuting August Wilson's The Piano Lesson starting tonight, February 3rd, and will be running until the 19th of the month at the Des Moines Playhouse, so be sure to grab your tickets while you can. I believe Alexis made mention of where you can pick those up. And tickets for A Raisin in the Sun, A Soldier Story, and Fences are all also on sale currently, so make sure to get those uh, ordered today. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Varsity Cinema Podcast. As always, head over to varsitydesmoines.com for ticket information and showtimes. Once again, I'm Keith Rich, and we'll meet you in the aisles. 